0: equity meets media. This is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. Globally, we're feeling the impacts of inflation and the cost of living pressures. In the UK, inflation is at 9.9%. In the US, it's 8.3%. And in Australia, it's 6.1%. And the August number is imminent. Cheryl Cosoni is covering the numbers for the August CPI. Right to you, Cheryl. 8.3% is
1: the year-over-year number. Britain's inflation surged to its highest yearly rate since 1982, in April. Inflation hitting 6.1%, the highest rate since 2001.
0: And while these inflation numbers can seem esoteric, you know, what does 6% mean? What does 9% mean? The results are pretty devastating. 9% inflation means that prices are up 9%. Or put another way, your money buys 9% less. And as a result of this, we're seeing strikes from unions all across the world. Airport workers in Germany, teachers in Norway, air traffic controllers in France, mine workers in Mexico, childcare workers in Australia. Different industries, different countries, but all striking for better pay. Well, Sydney commuters are being warned if they can stay away from trying to catch a train tomorrow with the network severely reduced by industrial action. One industry that seems to be in the middle of strike action around the world is rail workers. Earlier this year in the United Kingdom, right now in Australia and recently avoided in the United States. It's Wednesday the 21st of September and today I want to know what's going on with these rail strikes all over the world and is there more at play than just a cost of living and inflation story? To do this, I'm joined by my colleague and the co-founder of Equity Mates. It's Alec Renahan. Alec, welcome to the dive.
1: Hey, Sasha. Good to be here.
0: Are you a regular train user? Do you get the train into work?
1: I actually live about two blocks from the office. So I am a walker (laughs) into work, but I was a train user back in the day.
0: Okay, well, I'll let you off the hook because it's good that you're walking to work. But today we're talking about rail strikes in three different countries. But can they be spoken about together or do we really want to separate them out?
1: There are definitely similarities between these cases and a number of the other cases that you spoke about in your introduction. Inflation and cost of living pressures are common amongst all of these rail strikes, but more generally, all of these strikes that we're seeing. And within these rail strikes, there are some other common factors as well. Job security and working conditions being major ones. But they're all different cases. They all involve different rail unions. They all involve different rail companies and different governments. And the biggest difference is in the UK and Australia, the dispute is actually with the government, whereas in the United States, it's with private railroad companies. So we are seeing rail strikes around the world, but they're all different and they're all unique.
0: Okay, so let's take them one by one then. And chronologically, the UK was the first to get going, so I think that's a good place to get started.
1: It's being called Britain's Summer of Strikes. Tens of thousands of workers across different sectors have walked off the job. They want better pay and conditions to combat
0: record high inflation. Yeah,
1: these strikes were part of a Summer of Action from Britain's National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers known as RMT. So we'll call them RMT for this episode.
0: A Summer of action though that's a pretty catchy uh that's a pretty catchy phrase to be using
1: it is it is and this strikes were the biggest bout of industrial action seen in three decades so it really was a unprecedented summer of action And cost of living was obviously a factor here. The RMT had asked for a pay rise to deal with inflation. However, there were factors specific to Britain as well. Uh, About two billion pounds of cuts, uh, which is about 2.4 billion US dollars, was coming to Britain's railway budget, uh, which would lead to job losses, service alterations and changes to working conditions. And the union pointed out that Of these job losses, 2,500 of them would be maintenance jobs. So they were calling out an increased risk of a major accident. And it was cost of living alongside these budget cuts that led to the strikes.
0: So it's no longer summer in Britain, but are these strikes still going?
1: So the dispute is ongoing and the union have said they're going to keep striking. They were planning to strike from the 15th of September again, But out of respect to the Queen and the period of national mourning, they've moved their strikes. So they're now scheduling it for later in September. But we haven't heard the last of train strikes in Britain.
0: Yeah. And train travel is so central to Britain's infrastructure. It'll be very interesting story to watch. So one part cost of living, but also one part government budget cuts.
1: Yeah, that's right. And Sasha, a quick aside, the general secretary of the RMT is known as The Hood by his friends, named after the villain in Thunderbirds. Can't say I've ever watched it. Thunderbirds are go. Uh, but he explains it's because he has a bald head and massive eyebrows, much like the villain in Thunderbirds. Oh, uh, two
0: things there. You haven't watched the classic that is <laughs> Thunderbirds. This is shocking to me, but also if you've got friends like that, who needs enemies? I mean, I don't really want to be having that uh, kind of nickname.
1: I think it's all I think it's all a bit of fun and as someone with a bald head and massive eyebrows, I can sympathize. But the reason I'm telling you this, it led to this ridiculous exchange with Piers Morgan that we couldn't quite figure out how to fit into the business story, but we had to share it. Can you see the likeness? Well, I'm just wondering where the comparison goes because he was obviously <laughs> an evil criminal terrorist mastermind uh, described as the world's most dangerous man who really utter, le- utter, utter carnage you're this havoc, havoc at that? on the public. Is that
0: the level you're pitching this at, Piers? That is a joke amongst me and my friends and
1: you can see the likeness, if you like. So He's you're not denying that you You are comparing yourself to the
0: hood. Always room for a ridiculous exchange with Piers Morgan. But let's turn to Australia. We're seeing strikes at the moment in the state of New South Wales, which, if you're listening from overseas, that's where Sydney is, is located. It appears there's no stopping tomorrow's train strike. Talks are still underway, but the signs are not good. Commuters are being told working from home is the best option. These
1: strikes are being led by the New South Wales Rail, Tram and Bus Union and has seen 75% of Sydney's train services cut during the strike. Now, much like the UK, part of this story is a cost of living story. The union has asked for a pay rise, half a percent above the public sector pay cap which is 3%.
0: 75% of Sydney's train services cut during strike hours. Alec, you must be so thankful that you can walk to work. So it's still well below the rate of inflation.
1: And that's only part of the story. In June, the union claimed they were striking due to the safety of new Korean-built trains, which led to four days of strikes at the time. And during this time, the workers did a slowdown where they refused to drive trains above 60 kilometres an hour They also refused to drive the foreign-built trains, which took about 70% of the capacity out of the network. Now, these trains met the standards of the national government regulator, but fell short of union standards. Now, that strike ended after the New South Wales government pledged about a quarter of a billion dollars to address their safety concerns, but the strikes have continued beyond that, because of cost of living pressures.
0: So Alec, we've covered the UK and Australia. Let's take a quick break and then afterwards head to the US where President Biden had to step in to avoid a strike, at least for the moment. Welcome back to The Dive. Today we're looking at rail strikes in the UK, the US and Australia and asking if it's a coincidence that we're seeing these strikes across three different countries. Alec, we've already talked about the UK and Australia. Let's turn to America. What is happening there?
1: Well, as we said earlier in this episode, Sasha, unlike the UK and Australia where rail workers are disputing with the government, in the US, the dispute is with private rail companies. And it's important to note here that America runs on rails. About one-third of freight moves by rail, second only to trucks, and estimates were that a strike would have cost the US economy two billion dollars every day.
0: And that's an important caveat because a strike was narrowly avoided.
1: Yeah, narrowly. It took an all night negotiating session led by the US Secretary of Labor and reportedly a late night call in from President Biden. But the companies and the unions did find agreement that avoided a strike, at least for now.
0: At least for now, that's ominous. Now, in the UK, it was about budget cuts. In Australia, it was about safety concerns. Were there other factors at play in the US or is this just about inflation and cost of living once again?
1: So like the UK and Australia, cost of living and inflation were the backdrop to this all, but there were local factors at play here as well. Now, one thing to know about railroads in North America, in the past 10 years, they've been surprisingly great investments. And you wouldn't have picked that for an industry that's been around for 150 or so years.
0: I don't know. Monopoly players will always beg to differ.
1: (laughs) True, true. I do take a lot of my investing advice from Monopoly. So... um, Do your
0: own research, obviously. Utilities,
1: bad. Railroad's good. (laughs) Hotels, great.
0: Oh, yeah, the best.
1: (laughs) But... Railroads have got incredibly efficient over the past decade or so and they're now just profit machines. There are seven major railways based in the US and Canada. Together, they had a combined profit of $27 billion. A decade ago, this was $15 billion. So they've almost doubled their profit in a decade. And in that same time, six of the seven that are publicly traded, so we can get data on them, six of the seven paid out $146 billion in dividends to shareholders or in stock buybacks. So a massive return of money to shareholders as they made more profit. And a key way that they're becoming more profitable is reducing headcount. Estimates are there are about 150,000 rail workers left in the United States, down about 40,000 in the past decade.
0: Okay, so you can see how the workers feel like they're getting left behind. We joked about monopoly being investment advice then, but those numbers are staggering because their colleagues are being fired while their employers are reporting record profits. Add in the cost of living pressures and inflation and we can see how you get to this point.
1: Yeah, that's right. Let's take Florida-based CSX transportation, for example. Over the past decade, employee headcount has fallen by about one-third and this has helped the company become more profitable and its share price is up almost 300% in the past 10 years.
0: I mean, surely, Alec, these companies could have given their workers a pay rise.
1: Surely. To be clear, they have. (laughs) At the four biggest American railways, pay and benefits per employee increased about 26% over the past decade, which is slightly ahead of inflation.
0: Yeah, and it's still not quite the doubling in profit or quadrupling in share price that the companies have
1: enjoyed. You're certainly right, Sasha. It is definitely (laughs) not that. And we should be clear that many of the workers' complaints aren't about pay per se. They're also about conditions. A key reason why railroads have become so profitable in the past decade uh, has been this concept of precision scheduled railroading or PSR. And Sasha, we want to keep this less than 15 minutes, so pull me out if I go too deep. But in a nutshell, railways used to only focus on moving full trains. Now they're focused on keeping the trains constantly moving regardless of how full they are or how many rail cars they're pulling. This has been great for railroad profits because these assets are being utilised all the time, but it has resulted in punishing schedules for the workers. Having trains move 24-7 means railroad workers need to be on call 24-7. When I was researching this story, one deal point really stood out to me, one that really showed how different workers in the US have it to the UK and Australia. Talks between rail companies and the unions had stalled over the union's push to allow workers to take unpaid leave to visit a doctor. I mean, it's it's pretty stark. Yeah. Uh, under the current system, uh, at least at two rail, two of the biggest railroads, BNSF, side note, owned by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, and Union Pacific, workers receive a set number of points and then lose points if they take any time off. Meaning they were essentially being punished for seeing a doctor.
0: You told me to keep it under 15 minutes. I really wanna follow that tangent, but we might have to leave that for another day. In summary, a strike has been narrowly avoided. I imagine the rail companies then agreed to improve pay and conditions. Is that what happened?
1: They did. So railroad workers will receive 24% pay rises. The industry says that by 2025, the average salary for a railroad worker will be $110,000. The rail companies also agreed to give workers one additional paid leave day per year and to change the attendance rule systems so that doctors' appointments and medical procedures would no longer lead to losing points. So they narrowly avoided strike, and it seems like the workers did get some of the things they were asking for in the United States.
0: So three rail strikes at the same time but three unique situations that we heard about there, Alec.
1: Yeah, that's right, Sasha. We set out at the start of this episode to ask if they're interrelated and I guess they're no more interrelated than all of the strikes we're seeing across all industries and all countries. Cost of living pressures and inflation are a big driver but there's always unique circumstances that actually push workers to stop working and strike.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it. It really is the best way for a podcast to grow. And if you've joined us, welcome. Go check out our back catalog. This week, we've launched something new. Alongside this episode in your feed, we're releasing a short headlines companion to keep you up to date with the news of the day. So go have a look and download it and let us know what you think. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at the You can contact us by email. That's the dive at equity. Mates.com. And you can subscribe wherever you're listening right now. So you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining me today, Alec. Thanks, Sasha. Until next time. The Dive is a product of Equity Mates Media. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of The Dive acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The hosts of The Dive are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.